as I was drawing up the plans for season two of this show, one thing I wanted to do was speak with creatives and people who were kicking ass in their fields. Today's storyteller is Dima Omei, popular YouTuber, influencer, beauty and lifestyle vlogger and blogger. I sat down with her in Lagos and I've always admired what she did from afar. We spoke about a lot of things. We spoke about trying to figure out her path, content creation, and so much more. This story is one of my favorite from this season because it puts a lot into perspective about finding your way, figuring out how to navigate adulthood, looking at your path, and sticking to something that works. I think that's something that many people are dealing with and many people will deal with. Even if you don't relate to a lot of the stuff that she's talking about, if you can relate to someone trying to figure themselves out and finding something that works for them, I hope this could be something that helps you in that way. I'm going to stop talking now so we can get to the story, but just a reminder for parts of my conversation with Dima that didn't make this episode, head out to patreon.com slash Wally. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Wally where you get extra episodes, bonus episodes, behind the scenes content, and a lot more. So without further ado, let's get to Dima Ume's story. My name is Demalme. I'm a blogger, content creator living in Lagos, Nigeria. I was born in Enugu, did most of my growing up in Enugu. I lived there up until like after uni. Then I left to do my youth service here in Lagos. That was actually when I fell in love with Lagos. I'm the first out of seven children. First girl, first daughter, first everything. I don't really even think that there was a point where I didn't see myself as grown. Always felt from a very young age when a lot of people didn't even care about anything that I had a responsibility, especially when it came to others. It was something that, you know, they kept on just saying to me over and over and over again. You couldn't really have fun like that because people are looking at you. You don't bring a guy back to the house. A guy shouldn't wait for you around the gate. You know, so I've always kind of felt grown. And when people tell me sometimes I get it now as, oh, you don't act your age. For a very long time, people have said to me that I don't act my age. And I think upbringing and like, you know, the fact that I was the first and a lot of things just kind of factored into that. Dima touches on her relationship with her parents and what kind of kid she was. Honestly, growing up, I didn't really think that I had a very close relationship with them. I wouldn't say that I I had. And this is me keeping it 100 because I feel like I don't know how to skirt around the truth most of the time. Like it will look dandy coming on here and saying, oh, I was so like, you know, when people describe certain things with their parents on social media, were like, wow, it wasn't really like that for me. Um, For a very long time, I didn't feel like that. But then I think that the older I have gotten, really, my relationship with my mom especially has gotten so much. Like my mom, because my immediate genius sister knows everything. My mom is the second person who knows everything. I talk everything with her. I talk boys with her now. I, you know, we have conversations with her. He'll be like, this one is a waste. Please, we don't want him. So we have those kind of conversations now. So it's so funny because what is a boy when we are growing up, you know? But I'm a lot closer to my mom. Now. And I also, with my dad, I feel like the older I got... Towards my mid-twenties, I started acting out because I just felt like if I kept on yes sign and yes mine everybody, none of you really knows what I want. It came as such a big shock to him because he was like, who is this person? So we had a little bit of wasbos then, but he knows me now. He kind of understands me a lot better. 
primary school, like I was that person, like I tried to get good grades, like I never came anything. If it wasn't third, it was always between second and third. There was this guy that was giving me serious headache. He was always first, first, first all the time, but it was always second or third for me. Secondary school, it was the same thing as well. I struggled a bit in just one. And I don't even think that I got serious with school because I, at a point, started like maybe in my just one, 10, 11, I was like, oh, I want to be serious now and no more things. No, it was more of, I wanted to make my parents happy. So I had to get better grades. I never like went on suspension. My parents were never called into school for anything. Nothing. Like I never. I went to Holy Rosary College. It was a missionary school. I remember the day my mom dropped me off at school. She dropped me off. I was crying. I had been weeping from the car. Like the whole journey I had been crying. Dropped me off. Tried to do like they were trying to. And I was a very skinny kid. Like I was those kind of children. Like even if nothing is wrong with me, you feel sorry for me. Just because of the way that I looked. But I remember that I cried a lot, like when my mom dropped me off. And two hours later, she was still at the parking lot. She couldn't get herself to drive away. So when I came, I was like, oh, did my mom forget something? I started crying. I ran back to her. It was also dramatic thinking about it. My sister, Noma, she was like, bye-bye. What are you still doing here? Go on now. Like, she could not be bothered. So that's why we're like kind of different like that. But... If there's actually one time in my life I would give anything to go back to and just be like that again, especially towards the end, SS2, SS3, everybody again, it's secondary school. She talks about going to university in Enugu and never really enjoying the experience. She would later go to the UK for her master's degree. The whole decision was so ill-informed. It was so terrible. Like I wanted to do banking because I love the way bankers look going to work. There was really nothing deeper than that. Like, I know things I loved growing up. I loved history a lot. I loved government. And it was so stupid as far as I'm concerned because my WAEC was so good. I got a lot of A's and a lot of, and a few B's and then one F9. What's, what was the F9 in? It was in accounting. And I still wanted to do banking and finance. Just, that's just stupid. So I got in and I struggled. Around my first year, I wanted to switch to business management, which I, I wish that I had done. But then I was always, oh, I've made friends here. So it's just going to be like a bit somehow. So I stayed back. And I regret it up until today because I feel like if I had gone on to do business management, it would have been the perfect thing to just add my um, MSc to. But... I don't know. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like my course. It made me really feel dumb. That part in my life made me feel really, really dumb. And I didn't like it at all. I feel like after my first year, I also clocked out. I really wasn't really that interested. So I was just struggling to stay afloat. To a large extent, you want to coast through uni, you can. Without like, your grades are not remarkable, but you're passing. And that was me for a very long time. It was during my final year that I was like, okay, I really need to see if I can get a certain GPA. And then I became a lot more invested in things. And then you see that they weren't even really as hard. It's just that I wasn't really interested. The kind of grades that I had in my final year, if I had had those type of grades throughout, I would have had an amazing result at uni. But then I actually put in some effort final year, but nah, I didn't like the course. So <laughs> yeah. After I finished uni, I did youth service. I took another year after youth service, right? So I started my YouTube service here because I had a lot of time in my hands. I was posted to one local government like that and they didn't really like they, If everybody posted, they even came to work. We'll be sitting outside. There's no space. So a lot of us were just like, we went off to do other things. And around the time that I did my youth service was such a weird year because that year NYSC had issues with certain institutions. So for two years, I think 2011 and 2012, coppers were only posted to ministries, local government areas and um, 
schools. So you couldn't work in banks or IT companies. Like you, you couldn't do any of that. So it was a local government. So I served in ATS at three local government just on Lekebe Expressway. And I had time. And I've been thinking of YouTube for a long time. So I was like, I got a camera and I started doing it. I had started my blog before that. And the blog was doing well. And a lot of people were requesting for videos. I took that time to start YouTube. It kind of kicked off for me. And then I started seeing potential. I came back and I started to do, okay, for one more year, there was a lot of pressure for me to go to my master's and my mates were doing their master's. But then I really wanted it this time around because of just how bad my uni experience was. I wanted it to be something that I wanted and something that I would use, like a degree that would be of use to me. And I didn't even really want to do it. But I said, I have issues with my dad. Like he came from such humble beginnings and he wanted certain things. He wanted to be able to get a second degree when he was growing up, but there was nobody to help him with that so he just managed with what he had so he found it a bit frustrating that i had the opportunity to and i was saying that i didn't so i was like okay if you guys are going to blackmail me emotionally into doing this i'd rather i do it with something that will be of benefit to me so he wanted me to do accounting so i was like see if you want me to do this masters it will have to be something i want to do that's the only condition i wanted a course that was going to help me figure out how to monetize properly what i was doing so i started doing my research and entrepreneurship and innovation allowed you to create a feasible business model from the first day you walk into class you should have a business idea so the whole course is you studying how to make that idea work even down to the dissertation that you write so i really enjoyed it that was like school that i really enjoyed because it came from a very personal place you know i wanted this to work because a lot of people when we were in school were doing this thing on how to incorporate social media into things but then i was doing my research like i wanted to create a model that was built within social media so that was what i did and that was why i think i enjoyed it so much honestly i think that we don't talk as much as we should about how lonely it is moving to a new place sometimes when you don't know people. Towards the end of it, it got better for me. And I didn't live on campus because I had had friends who had just done masters. were like, ah, oh, ew, you don't want to live in, on campus, blah, 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 blah. You have to get your own place. So I did that. And thinking back at it now, I think maybe I shouldn't have maybe gotten a place somewhere closer to school and maybe be a lot more immersed in the culture, whatever was going on in school. I wasn't. So it was like after every day, like after school, I go back to my place. But towards the end of it, it got better for me because I started making friends. But then it was really lonely at the beginning of it. When I was in my master's, it was so dramatic. I'll call my mom. I'll be crying. For like 30 minutes when I'm crying on the phone, my mom was like, what the hell is going on? But then it was kind of like that for me sometimes. But like I said, I feel like it was because maybe I wasn't as close. But towards the end, it got better. I got a distinction in my dissertation and work. My supervisor was so impressed. Because he supervised quite a few people and I think I was the only one who had gotten a distinction. And he loved my work so much and he was like, what is going to prevent you from doing this when you go home? I'm like, my dad doesn't like what I do. He doesn't even take consider my blog to be serious. He doesn't want to hear talk about blogs. At first, honestly, I was thinking of doing journalism or doing something tied to media. And every time I'd mentioned it, there was a lot of kickback. So I decided in a very smart way to take the entrepreneurial route because I just felt like if I did research it from that angle, nobody, because it's business, business is business. And even if I don't apply it to this, I can apply it to something else, whatever I've learned here. Igbo men understand business. So at least you'll be like, okay, 
if she wants to go study something around that, then let her go do it. And that was how I got away with doing it. Even after that, my, my supervisor used because of me and came for my graduation because he wasn't supposed to come because I was like, you can come to talk to my dad yourself because I'm really having issues with them. He came and he talked to them. He was like, I did very good work and da, 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 look at my grades. My dad was like, okay, fine. When I come back, I'm going to do it. Like he would let me do. He was like, just let her do whatever she wants to do. And he was like, okay. As is the case for many African children, for you to gain your independence, there's usually a moment of rebellion that changes everything. That moment came for Dima when she decided to move to Lagos after being back in Nigeria from the UK. I moved back to Lagos, Baz moves Baz too. My dad is like, no, I've talked with some of my friends and they're like, no, you're a young girl. You can't go do this and that and that and that and that. I started monetizing my YouTube channel. A year before I left Nigeria to go do my master's. I wasn't even making that much, but I didn't even have an ATM card to the account. So I just left the money there and it was just sitting. So, and I was, I tried to keep doing YouTube while I was in school. So by the time I came out, I had quite a bit in the account and there was a big recession and it really helped me because the dollar was changing for a lot higher because YouTube money comes in dollars. So it was changing for a lot higher and I was able to use that to just change it. I had a very big fight with my dad. And I feel like for me, it was just very painful because... I grew up in a household that was middle class, slightly above middle class. Like my, my parents could afford to give us certain things. And my dad was big on helping people. You come with business ideas. Sometimes me and my sister, we roll our eyes with the type of ideas people come with. And he still entertained them. Do you understand? He would give them money. He would, you know, and I wasn't even really asking for money. I'm not asking just, please, can we not fight over this? And he didn't. So we had this big fight and there was a lot of tears. I'll never forget that argument because we had just finished fighting and it was me and my dad that we were, I just went in for a normal conversation and it turned into a big fight. And then I turned to storm out of the room and my mom was standing behind me. All that while, I didn't know she was in the room. She had come in when we started raising our voices. She didn't say a thing. And normally my mom is very big on don't talk back at your dad. Whatever he says, yes, your dad is this, your dad is that, you don't talk back. And I feel like that was support. It was unconscious, but it was support because she didn't come into it. Because normally she would have said, oh, it's enough. Don't say anything. She didn't say anything. She was all for it. Do you know how the argument ended? Shabi, you want to go to Lagos? Or you come and tell me where you get the money from? That was what he said. I was like, okay, fine. I booked my flight. I came to Lagos and I changed that money. And I was dealing with so much at the time. And God just came through for me because I didn't look for a house for more than two days. And I found a place. I went to Lagos Island and I changed the money and I paid. My mom calls me that evening and she's like, oh, how are you? That Have you found a place? Because I had left, she was like, okay, so what have you seen? Let us know how we will go about it and help her. I said, I found a place. She said, so what is next? I said, I've paid. She said, what? I said, I've paid. She now said, your dad is going to call you. And when he calls you, don't tell him that you've paid. Tell him that your friend... Tell him that Fiji's husband gave you money to complete it. Don't tell him that you paid for everything yourself or don't tell him that you paid. And my dad is so big on, like, his love language, I think, is giving. If he can give you things, it makes up for a multitude of other things. And to him, me doing that was indirectly saying, I don't need you. And she was like, no, you shouldn't do that. Because you don't want to give him the impression that I don't need him for anything again. Was I a baller after I paid? Of course I was not a baller. I had so many other things that I was going to struggle to pay for. But do you understand? I did it. And they did not think that I could do it. And for that reason alone, he hasn't had a say in a lot of things again. For a whole year, I didn't do anything on YouTube. And I just used what I had made up until 2015. That was what I managed to use to pay the rent. I couldn't pay my rent the second year. 
couldn't pay all of it. I had to borrow some money to complete it to pay. And he later heard that I had borrowed money and he was so upset. He was like, why would you go and borrow money from somebody to finish paying? And it was because we had fought so much and I was at this mental, I'll, I'll prove myself. Going back to say, please help me with this was putting myself in a position to have someone tell you, I told you so. I told you what to do. I told you to come and do, get a bank. Let's get, help you get a banking job or go and apply for banking jobs in Abuja or wherever. Even in normal conversations that we would have, there was also always this pressure. When are you going to be done with this thing you're doing? I'll come back and go and do something serious. So me coming then to say that I couldn't pay that rent was me. Just I was looking for insults in Bobiski's voice. She talks about going into YouTube and finding her niche, along with some of the struggles of being a content creator in Nigeria. Like I told you earlier, I had started a blog. It was that Igbo chick at blogspot.com, then that Igbo chick.com. And what I'd do at the time was I'd create all these looks and I'd leave a list of products used. And then people were just saying, Dima, we are tired of seeing the finished results and the list of things you used. Can you please show us the process? We want to see the process. And I was like, me, do video, lie, lie. Like, I'm too shy for all of that. But then people kept on asking. And then I started looking into YouTube. And then I got a camera that I wanted. And I got a tripod. I went to game, got a tripod. And then I sat down. Like, I used to be so shy. I'm still so shy now. I'm not as shy when it comes to, like, maybe interviews like this anymore. And um, videos, like, recording. When it comes to very social things, I'm still slightly awkward. But it's a lot easier now talking to my camera. But you should have seen that first video. You think that the camera was a man that was toasting me. You see the way I was talking? <laughs> I watched that video. I reacted to it last year and I, it was so cringe. I was like, oh my God, Demo, what are you doing here? But that video did, it didn't do too bad because people actually watched it. I did a couple, maybe three or four more before I did the eyebrow routine video. The eyebrow routine video was what really put me out there because it was a video that did really well. started trending on YouTube Nigeria and it got the attention of YouTube here in Nigeria. So they sent me an email like, are you making videos from Nigeria? I was like, yes. And they were like, wow. And they called me to their YouTube office in Ikoi. And we had a nice meeting and they you know, started trying to teach me and they tried to help me with my channel. And they'd give me all these pointers and with things that I was struggling with, they made themselves really accessible and available. So I could reach out to them easily to talk about issues and then have them give me pointers. I was living in this very crappy apartment when I moved here. It wasn't even an apartment, it was a BQ. And um, I remember then the people were telling me, oh, pay an extra 200k or 300k for service. And you get a service, you get generator, there will be service, you supposed to be service. I was like, I don't have 200, 300k. And I regret it up until today because for the one year that I lived there, we didn't have life for more than one month. If I'm being truthful, that's how bad electricity was. So I had a small generator and every time I had to film, I go turn on the generator, whether or not there was light most of the time, because if it goes off, I'd have to go down and start drawing the thing to turn it on. And there was a lot of fuel scarcity that year. And then I wake up by 5 a.m. and I go to the filling station to buy fuel. And then you'll be on the queue to up until 11 a.m. And they say that fuel has finished and you have to go somewhere else. Internet is very expensive. It is still very expensive here. I don't know what we are doing. I feel like data is getting more expensive by the day. I just feel like a lot of creators here, we create content despite. We create content in conditions that our first world counterparts can't even imagine. Like they can't dream of because, you know, even the gadgets, gear, not as accessible. You have to rely on like people who are traveling here and there to be able to buy this and that. If there's a part that you need to change or quickly replace, Something that you just place an order on Amazon and have it here. No, you have to wait a month sometimes for it. So it's small things like that. And it makes it just generally difficult. Because with YouTube and your 
schedule, very small things can upset your, just your schedule, how consistent you are. And it's very quick things you could easily fix, but it's not easy fixing those things. When I started YouTube out, like I told you, I was very shy. I couldn't even talk to the camera. I would just film these very brief intros, just filming them was war. So what I do normally is I'll do the tutorials and then I do the voiceovers later of me just talking, you know, how you do voiceovers. So I do those. But then YouTube itself keeps evolving. The algorithm keeps changing. People, what they watch, what they consume keeps changing as well. And um, around the time I came back to YouTube in 2017, people were over those type of videos. Like people wanted to see more personality. And even now, people want to see more. I feel like personality more than anything. You know, content is good. Quality has to be good. But people have just realized with time, come back to YouTube for you more than anything. They find you funny, entertaining. They just come back. So um, around the time I came back in 2017, I saw that a lot of people just wanted, and they were requesting, Dima, we want to see more about your life, more about your day, talk to us. So I started doing that. I started vlogging. I started doing tutorials that weren't really voiceover heavy anymore. I was doing like talking to the camera as I go and just bringing up random things while I talk. People enjoy that. I started doing first impressions that kind of let me review. People started enjoying that. I started doing vlogs. I kind of documented my life in Lagos here. People started enjoying that. With the vlogs, you know, it's like you do these things at first, you're worried with people, but then the many people respond positively, you're like, aha, you try to do more on that. And I consider myself to be very funny if I do say so myself. I have friends who laugh and I just wanted to, I had opinions and I wanted people to laugh as well. I don't think I'm very funny. I don't know if that sounded strange, but I know that people laugh sometimes. And I wanted to be able to talk the way that free with myself. And around the time I said YouTube, there are not a lot of people doing YouTube like me right? There were not a lot of Nigerians who talked like me. You know, there were a lot of Nigerians doing YouTube in the, like in the UK and they sounded very American and very British, but there were not a lot of people talking. I used to be very conscious of my accent. And I wanted to talk about a lot of things. I started talking about things in vlogs sometimes, maybe pitch in things that were happening at the time, domestic violence issues, things like that. People love that. And then I started doing my tutorials around that. So I just chat, tell stories while I do my makeup and people started eating that up just talking about social things, social issues. And these were things that people actually wanted to talk about. Like the comment section always became a forum of sorts because people were just talking. And then I loved it so much. One of my best videos last year that every time I meet people outside, there was this video I did on how to destroy your African accent. And people thought it was very funny because I started off the video like, you know, I brought a mortar and pestle. I was like talking to it, pound it away, drink, ranch. You sound American and stuff like that. People loved it. But then it was something like I had had people come and make fun of my accent all the time. And I was sick and tired of it. So I just tackled it from like just different like angles. And I love it when I talk about these things because I really want to talk about those things now. So it's, it's, you come to my channel, it's beauty lifestyle, but I cover so many things outside of that. Mental health became a really big thing for me. And I also didn't want to do work that was chore. Like I just, like I, cause I feel like at a point, even before I had left, like YouTube has started changing the type of content that I was used to creating. People weren't enjoying it as much. So my views were struggling a bit. And then you're putting in all these work into videos. YouTube is so much work. Like it takes you about two to three hours to film. Editing takes me like shortest speed is between six to seven hours. The longer the video is, the longer it takes to edit. And then we put all of that out. People are not watching. And then they come and leave negative comments on that as well. So I was also in such a sensitive place when I came back because I took comments to hard. Like when people were like, oh, people don't like me anymore. It took me getting out of my head and being like, please, you have to figure out what to do because I don't really think it's that people don't like you. Okay, this type of things you're doing, there should be a reason. You can't tell me that people are not watching this because they don't like you. There are people who are not really that likable on YouTube who are amassing views. What is the problem? I had to go and start looking at my analytics and I started looking at what people were enjoying. I started paying close attention to videos that were doing well 
that our faves were putting up. And then I figured out that there was a pattern and I just started trying to diversify content as well. And then around the time I came here, a lot of my money was predominantly coming through AdSense. That was the savings that I had gotten because YouTube money goes straight in. But then I knew that there was a lot to be made from brand sponsorships, brand deals as well. So I started diversifying content. And that was also the reason why I really embraced vlogs and lifestyle. Because more than diversifying content for me, it also diversified the type of brands that I ended up working with. Because beauty lifestyle, and for a very long time after I moved back here and started doing it, I feel like brands and their representatives here didn't really, at that point, hadn't understood the importance of influencers. However, you see that certain industries here embraced influencers fully and they had the budget and they weren't demeaning or trying to belittle the type of work that you put in. They really respected that. So I have worked with brands that I have on my media kit that I never thought in a million years. I've worked with people who make dishwashing liquid and they paid well. I've worked with some really interesting people and I would never have been able to work with them if I didn't branch off to lifestyle or try to bring that into, you know, my content. I asked Dima about the point it dawned on her that she was a big deal. That was 2017 when Essence magazine reached out to me and they did a full page, an entire page on me in their summer issue. I was like, I don't, I'm not understanding. They sent the questions in and I answered it. Essence, do you know, I used to buy Essence when I was like, I'll go. Because there was this guy in Enugu that used to bring old issues in. So maybe two or three months later, we buy them. I used to buy them for like 500 I'll pack a lot of them. I'll buy Essence, I'll buy Ebony. I used to buy all those things. And then they did an entire like feature for me. And I was like, what? And I remember like 2018, Fenty Beauty reached out to me. I work with Fenty Beauty. 2018, I was like, hmm, really? And then last year, I remember like during the presidential elections and they chose some people who would ask the candidates questions. And then I came in, I was the first person, like they, they plugged it on the screen there and they were like, just ask them anything. I was like, of course, I'm asking people about data because I'm tired of suffering. And I asked them why, what would they do to regulate the NCC to make data more accessible? Because it wasn't just an online creating thing. Most businesses, POS, they rely on these things to function. So what are you guys going to do about that? And then one trip. I remember that I did with YouTube last year. I traveled a, a bit with YouTube last year, but that particular one, because with the other ones were more like summits or work relating to summits. That particular one, they flew me out for a panel. So they wanted me to talk on a panel about diversity, um, especially from a Nigerian perspective. So they had different black people from the different, like, so there was an American, there was a black German, a black French girl, there was me, and there was a, Brit a British girl. So I was the only person from the continent who, went in. So they took us to Cannes. The entire experience was just bougie. I was like, is this me? They took me and my sister were like, do you want to go with a plus one? And they flew us. And then we got there. It was Mercedes Benz upon Mercedes Benz. I did not see what car that was on the Benz. I was like, my sister would be like, I am having the time of my life. It was also good. And they gave us a budget of like 300 euros a day, eat whatever you want. And I'm like, I would never have dreamed things like this up. And then everybody was dedicated to making you comfortable and happy. You know, so I'm like, okay, like, I think I'm kind of maybe like a big deal for them to actually go out of their way to treat me like this, you know? Those are the ones that I feel like stand out the most. I did something for Garden this year. They put me on a cover. It's been all of that. And sometimes I just look back at it and I know that I wanted exciting things out of it. But I, I'm still like, wow. She talks about the relationship she has with her parents now and some plans for the future. Well, please, there's mutual respect now. Like, that's why I use the word mutual respect with my dad. Because even up until 2018, was he really happy with what I was doing? Not really. 
Have I called him to ask him for shishi? No. He's still, I think, to a large extent impressed by the fact that I said I would hold my own. And I'm holding my own. My sisters would be like, ah, if you see this man talking about you, you see where he's talking, say, I have a da, 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 da. If she can do it after all these basketballs, you too, you should go and find a way to do it. I met Chimamanda and Chimamanda was like, oh, she watches my videos and la, 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 la. Chimamanda was like, fangirling me small and I wanted to die. I was like, oh, you probably going to call an ambulance because I'm about to pass out. Chimamanda was, is that one person in my life of like, if I meet her, I don't really know how it will go. Like, I don't know what I will do. And she's talking about how she went and bought stuff after watching my videos. I'm like, huh, what are you talking about? And I've had some gigs and I've worked with some people. Like he knows. He might not understand it fully, but he has a clear idea now. If I am twiddling my thumbs not doing anything, or if it was not something that required that much work, I wouldn't be associated with the type of people that I am associated with. And outside of that is the fact that I'm not calling him and I'm asking him for anything. So where I'm at now is that once in a while, they'll just call to be like, oh, if there's anything that we can help out with, or they'll just give you, just do things for you. Maybe that they want to do it for you or you're still a child and all of that. But I'm not disturbing anyone. And my mom has always understood it more than he did because my mom is a woman. And from the beginning, a lot of the people who watch my videos were women. So she got feedback in a way that he never did. So she's always understood it. I really enjoy what I do now. But then again, I really want to make it a lot bigger than what it is now. I want to leverage on my audience. I have business ideas that I'm working on. Just tap into all of that. That was a very interesting story to do and to also listen to again. And I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you laughed like I laughed because Dima is one of the funniest people that I have um, spoken to. It's an important story because I think now more than ever, there are more African children going the unconventional routes with their careers. We all joke about African parents always want you to be either a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or stuff like that. But more and more, we're seeing people going into music, content creation, more people going into the arts, and, you know, trying to find their way in there. And the truth is, that's a journey we as humans are always on. Doing something now doesn't guarantee that you're going to be doing it in 20 years, you know. I think... This story helps to shine a light into how to navigate that, how to deal with the conflicts that usually come up in times like this, because also your parents are looking out for you. You know, it's important that you are fulfilled. It's important that you find peace and joy with whatever you do. I hope this helped somebody who is going through that. Whatever way you're going to go eventually with your career or your path, I wish you success and um, happiness also on that journey. But um, thanks to Dima for doing this episode. She was super kind to meet up with me in Lagos. And we spoke for about two and a half to three hours, just having different conversations and just talking about a lot of things. Um, there's more of this on Patreon. If you are looking for more of my conversations with Dima, go to patreon.com slash Wale. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Wale. If you want to find Dima, you can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Dima Ume. That's D-I-M-M-A-U-M-E-H. Look her up on YouTube. She has really good content on YouTube. 
But yeah, that's this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you have a story you want to share with me and have appear on this podcast, send me a message on WhatsApp at 347-370-9360. That's with a plus one if you're outside the US. 347-370-9360. Also, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends on your social media. Um, message me on Twitter at KingWale. That's K-I-N-G. W-O-L-E. Tell me how you enjoyed the episode. I'm going to interact with you. Follow the podcast on Twitter at MomentsPod. Look for the podcast on Instagram at InTheseMomentsPod. If you have an iPhone, please go on Apple Podcasts, look for In These Moments and give a five-star rating. This helps a lot to get more people coming across the show, okay? If you're on Patreon, the extra episode is coming very soon, I promise. I know I said it the last time, but this is coming for the gold and the platinum members, okay? I think that's pretty much everything I have to say for now. I'm going to be back with you in two weeks with a new episode. Take care of yourself, be good, and bye-bye.